Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 29. Thank you for listening, and you're going to love our guest today. Not only is she gregarious, but she brings up generational wealth and what she is doing to maintain it, create it, and pass it along. Before I introduce her, let me ask you to take a minute and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's super easy. You open the podcast app, search for Artistic Finance, and then tap 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 stars. And if you leave a review, even better. I appreciate you doing that. Thank you. Today's guest is Ebony Madry. She is a lighting designer and project manager in LA, overseeing the installation of audio, video, and lighting for corporate and exclusive events. Ebony has worked at the Arkansas Repertory Theater and was a lighting director at the Big Top Chautauqua Music Festival in Wisconsin. Ebony dedicates her energy to collaborate with artists, designers, and productions that feature and uplift BIPOC populations. She actively mentors other female BIPOC students and has served on the diversity panel for the Queer People of Color Festival at UC Irvine. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Ebony Madry, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me uh, again and your amazing flexibility. I'm so excited to connect with you because you have some brilliant work also. One of the phrases you used in your email to me, you said, sorry, it's been a little bit of a goat rope. Yeah. Could you tell us what that means? <laughs> um, it, it literally just means that there is uncontrolled chaos. And it's just as soon as you think you have the goat in the rope, to walk them into the pasture, it slips out and there is more chaos. So yeah, no, I, uh, it's so funny because I, I love that phrase because I can just like, it's a goat rope and people know, okay, it's madness, we'll come back to it, it's fine. But yeah, I know that's one of my favorite <laughs> I just love it. And we'll get into where you're from, so maybe it sort of makes sense culturally too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're recording this on October 31st, 2020. It's Halloween. It is also amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and also amidst the Black Lives Matter reawakening across the entire world. Yeah, no, what a, what a crazy, crazy vortex. When I was like, I wonder if he could do Halloween. And I was like, I know I'm not doing anything because COVID. You and I, you're in California. I am in New York. Back in June or July, USITT held a virtual panel. It was called A Conversation on Diversity and Anti-Racism in Entertainment Design. Great video. I'll post a link to it. Everyone should watch it. It's a really good conversation. But what I loved about it was everybody goes around for their introductions and it's like, hello, I'm so-and-so. Hello, I'm so-and-so. Hi, everybody. I'm Ebony Madry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a really big energy. And I always have to remember that in a room sometimes. It's like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I have big energy. Simmer down. It's okay. Yeah, no, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, no. So I, all of my friends were like, at the end of it, I was like, was I too much? And they were like, no, like you were you. Like they were like, you were just being you. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it was it was so good. I mean, the conversation was good and everybody was happy and, and positive and everything. But you just have like this energy that was jumping out to me the entire time. And I was like, oh, right. Let, hey, let, let Ebony talk again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. 
Um, so I know who you are. I've stalked you. I've been to your website. I've looked at your work. But could you give us sort of a recap of your life and your career up to where you are right now? Absolutely. So um, Ebony Madjury, um, as Ethan so beautifully uh, said previously, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. I hold two degrees in uh, theatrical design, uh, and I attended Texas Tech University for my BFA. And then I attended UC Irvine for my master's in lighting. I have had the extreme pleasure of working kind of all over the country and being in rooms that I was way too young to be in that afforded me many opportunities for the foundation of my career. So that is overall a, a little bit of scope of, about me. How did you get to California and what is, what is your title right now? Because I think of you as a lighting designer. But you're, you do more as well. I ended up in California because of grad school. I literally never in a million years thought I would end up in California. The opportunity just kind of presented itself. My undergrad mentor reached out to me and he, he told me, uh, UCI, which is where he received his MFA from, he was like, they need one more student. Uh, I can connect you to the professors there. And if you're interested, then go for it. And, and that is how I ended up in California. So school three years. And then after I graduated, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I ended up staying out here. Um, and, and during that time of, of going to school on summers, I was able to assist uh, my mentors and I worked at outdoor music festivals. And that's kind of when I started realizing like, oh, I like live entertainment other than theater. And that's when I made the pivot to production. Now I honestly would consider myself, my, my title with the company that I work for is a project manager. The company, Bright Ideas Complete Technical Solutions, is an interesting entity because Bright Ideas started off as only a lighting company 30 years ago, but now is a lighting audio and video company. We market ourselves as a complete technical solution. Uh, unlike a four wall, all of the project managers have theatrical MFAs. All of us have theatrical backgrounds. So we bring artistry artistry and I think a level of storytelling that most production companies don't offer. So in that, I would say I'm a project manager, but I also have the blessed opportunity to continue to do lighting design through this production company. Yeah, that's amazing. COVID, um, have you been able to be doing any live events or has it, have you like shifted to virtual events or? I would say, so we are still doing events. We, we're doing a lot of virtual captures for corporate clients, but we've also overnight become a film and TV studio. We all kind of have this language of how to talk about film and how to talk about TV. But from the, all, all of us have a theatrical background, uh, except for a few people. There are a few people that have done rock and roll and TV and film that also have theatrical backgrounds that are project managers. Out of nowhere, um, we started making films, films for our clients. So their virtual galas, their events, we're turning into full films, right? And, and creating a story and helping them tell the story of the event because nobody we're overlooking at like a Zoom Brady Bunch thing, right? Like we've done that for five months now. So how can we be different? I've been extremely blessed to continue to be working and designing right now. And uh, we've even built a, a recording studio, a soundstage in our warehouse. And I've been one of the primary lighting designers in that, in that space. I, I've been extremely blessed. My heart goes out to everyone else because I know it, it, it's been, it's hard and it's scary right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. 
Um, okay, so... Oh, wait, this question. My favorite question, not really. <laughs> this, this is a question that some people love to answer and some people don't, So, but it's always awkward for me, but I find it important when it comes to money. And that is, Absolutely. could you describe your demographics for us? Yeah, so age, um, I am 29. Uh, race, I uh, consider myself Black, African-American, female. Uh, I do have a girlfriend. Yeah, I am in a pretty stable relationship. So. Amazing. For how long? I'm going to pry. No. <laughs> no, and no, it's actually, it's crazy. It's actually very new, but I've known her for six years. So, but we, we just recently started dating. So we're about three or four months in, but it kind of, we were friends through a friend. So we weren't like really close. So we know just enough about each other, but it, it's, it's great. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate. Amazing. Awesome. Okay. So now let's get to know your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I am like obsessed with like Beyonce and like Lizzo, particularly Beyonce. I mean, her production design and the time that she puts into it and like the palette of like video content and lighting, it, it's insane because her palette is, she uses very little color in any of her stuff. You know, it's generally like black and white or it's like um, more of like a sepia. That stuff is interesting to me because it's still so dynamic. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with Beyonce. So seeing a Beyonce concert, that would be a, a, an extreme highlight. Well, one day I have faith that you will see it in live. <laughs> I know when she came to LA last time I was working and I was like, Really, guys? Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, the tickets were sold out anyway, so one of the matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, instantly sold out. Um, what is a piece of art that you like? I did um, a production of Red, which is uh, basically a story about Mark Rothko. And I got so into his style and then, like, artists that he, like, mimicked. So, really, Rothko, his his stuff to me is, is color theory, right? It, it's a matter of how you can play with like hue and saturation and, and it's beautiful. So Mark Rothko's like approach to art and, and his color palette and the way he used color, uh, he's a big influence for me. Really, honestly, a lot of my color combinations come from paintings like that. That's amazing. You're the second person to say Rothko on this podcast. Wow. Also, I love that you combined theater and art together in that answer. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. But if anybody gets the chance to see back when, you know, when theater comes back, if, if anybody does a production of Red, I advise it. I, I've seen it and I really like it, too. Mm -hmm. Beautiful work. Yeah. So what keeps you motivated or inspires you? Let's say on the days you don't want to get out of bed or you're just not feeling a lighting design. What makes you go? Oh man, that's so funny that you asked that because I feel like leading up to a show, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the day comes to like push the buttons and I'm like, I don't really feel like an artist today. Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately I, I'm such like an extrovert. So I feed off of the energy of everyone else. Once there's like performers in the space or there is someone on the stage, at the end of the day, I think like I want to give them the best show possible. Like I want them to look great. And so that ends up being, I think, kind of where I dig from is that like people are counting on me to make a good product, right? And I might not think it's great in the moment because I am so attached to it. The fact that other people are counting on me to help tell their story is what gets me up. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I want to dig down just because you're a lighting designer. I'm a lighting designer. Yeah. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I'm an introvert. Yeah. But lighting designers, we, we work in a live room. Like we do our work with other people around. I used to hate in tech, not hate, it bothers me when the stage manager would say holding for lights. Can we just say holding for tech? There's already so much pressure on me because yes, you can show, you know, some renderings to your director or, you know, you can do some, you know, collages, but we are one of the only elements that people don't understand until they're in the room. Sounds you can hear, costumes you can hear, scenery you see a model for. And I, I think there are so many ways that I've learned to talk about lighting, but at the end of the day, people are literally waiting on you. They're like, oh, the light's not on. And you're like, I know the light's not on. I'm I'm turning it on. Like, <laughs> like this yeah, person is yeah. dark. And I'm like, I know they're dark. I see they're dark. Just give me a second. Yep. yep. Especially kind of in um now in live entertainment where a headliner will come in and they will say, uh, like, oh, this is the concept, and people will be here, people will be there, da 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 da. And then they go off. So they talk to me for five minutes and then they come back in 30 minutes, and I'm like, whoa, 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 like still working. <laughs> We're still working, like it's not done. Yep, yep. That I think also adds another layer of like, I don't really want to push the buttons today because we feel like so much pressure. I, you know, like the whole room is really kind of waiting on us and you can pre I think you can pre cue your heart out but at the end of the day there's still so many adjustments that you want to make also because like generally I feel like as lighting designers we're kind of perfectionists like we're like oh that's a little too hot like I'm squinting my eyes and I'm getting pulled over here so I need to bring this you know it's like so many levels and I don't think I've ever done a show where I've been like okay that's finished I've sat in an opening night and be like wow you really you did that like why did you do that <laughs> Right. I know. I know. And, and, and there's so like even a small show, like the smallest possible show could be like, let's say eight lights. Yes. I'm, I know we do this, but it's like you have eight lights and yet oh, it needs to come down three yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. there's there's so many um, there's so many steps and so many exactly. decisions, even if you only have eight lights. Well, each one of those has to be at a certain level. Right. And we just sit there and nitpick and nitpick and nitpick. Right. And we make it perfect. Sometimes I get done and I think, why did I just waste three hours of my life? doing that when literally nobody in the no audience is going to yep. notice. <laughs> I started doing this thing mostly because my grad school mentor, he literally, because I'm such a perfectionist, he would say, you need to be able to write a cue a minute, 50, 75, full. Those are your initial intensities. Move on. You just got to bang it out and you can come back to it if you have time. He's like a cue a minute, a cue a minute. Think big gestures, less is more. Front light is not a cue. And that's how he left it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great advice. <laughs> okay, last creative question for you. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, my God. I listen to everything but bluegrass because I grew up in Texas. So, like, I really love country. Uh, I can't stand the banjo. So, that's why there's no bluegrass. But, yeah, no, everything. Absolutely, like, you know, from um, alternative to punk to rap to R&B. I mean, music is... And my girlfriend has told me this and she's like, you talk with music because there'll be like something that I'll hear and I'll send it to her. But it'll literally be like three or four text messages of me just sending her, you know, songs back to back. And she's like, you talk in music. So music, I think, is is really important uh, to us as artists and as people, as culture. So, so yeah, I listen to everything. Amazing. Okay, the bluegrass. Have you seen the musical Big River? 
No, I would, uh, I, I couldn't. The reason why is I worked at an outdoor music festival and the house band was like a, like a bluegrass group. And so there was a lot of banjo. Anytime there was like someone else came in, I was so happy. I was like, yes, like not banjo. Like, oh my God. Like, so I, I can't do, it's some, it's like the ding, 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 ding. I can't do it. The like, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I kid you not, in my grad school, we I, there was four people in my class, and one of them would come in with his banjo and just sit there and strum. You would have, you would have died. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. I could not. I would, yeah, no, that would be awful. Okay. All right, Ebony, now your financial personality, are you good or bad with money? I would say I'm moderate. I do put money away, and I've started doing this thing where if I want something, and it's more than $75, then I have to save for it. It's kind of what I've started doing. So I would say I'm like in the middle. I'm not terrible. I'm not great, you know? Okay. Over $75, you have to save for it. This is, okay. Um, are you a saver or a spender? I would say I am a saver. It, like, so if I get like extra cash, like, you know, birthday or Christmas or whatever, I generally, that money goes instantly into like a savings account. That was money I wasn't expecting. So I can just put it here. It's not counted towards bills or, you know, budgetary things. So uh, I can pretend like it didn't even come to me. Amazing. Okay. And I think you've sort of answered this already, which is financially, are you risk averse or a risk taker with your money? I do invest in stock. I do have some stock investments that are a little risky. I'm not a very diverse in my portfolio currently <laughs> uh and my my app keeps telling me like you need to diversify your portfolio and i'm like ignoring it because i just have like a whole bunch of tesla stock yeah. okay wait i have a side note on tesla so back 2008 maybe anyway i was really into like solar energy green going green and i was like oh tesla this is brilliant so i bought into it when it whenever it first came out when we finally went to a financial advisor they said, okay, everything looks great. Um, we really recommend you sell out of all your individual stocks, which was Tesla. So I no longer have Tesla, and it's my sad day. I, I sort of regret it, but I guess I'm now diversified. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I have a friend who is an investment banker, so I, I always talk to him first before I make any moves because he's like, hey, look, we got drunk together back in undergrad. He's like, my advice is always free because I literally probably would be in a ditch somewhere if it weren't for you. So, so yeah, he keeps telling me to diversify also, but I'm just like, I, I will, but I'm not giving up my Tesla because she's doing good right now. She's doing really good. And, and regardless of the C-suite people and their opinions and all that, it's a stock you can believe in. What have I, Ethan Steimel, ever done for humanity? Well, Tesla making green cars and getting us off of gas, that's a lot of good for humanity. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. No, that's exactly how I feel. So growing up, did you have good financial examples? I did. My grandparents were uh, amazing, both sets. They really instilled in my cousins and I, and some cousins listened and they're doing great and some did not. And they're kind of, you know, scrapping the bottom of the barrel. But my grandma, she literally, I feel like everything was a lesson with her. And when I was a kid, I was over it. But now I look back and everything it was so important. But she would start off with like, okay, I gave you $20, right? Like, oh, okay, you get lunch. You know, here's your $20 for the week for lunch. You could take three of those dollars every week and put them into a savings account. And so right away, she gave us the option for all of us to have savings accounts. 
it was kind of little things like that. And then she would make sure that we had the opportunity to kind of like learn about investing. And so, yeah, no, my grandparents, my grandparents were, are really my like financial role models because they instilled a lot. That's amazing. How old were you when, like how, how young were you when you were seven, seven? Yeah. So wow. I started really early because she was all about, and one of my really big goals is generational wealth. And she was really, really big on helping us establish that generational wealth. Like that was one of her really big things. And, and, you know, I mean, she has lots of properties that she's invested in and, you know, she, she's doing things. Um, I mean, she has a radio talk show now. So like, she's always done stuff to try to create other avenues of, of finance for us. So yeah, I, I started like as early as seven saving money. And that, that's what she would say. She would be like, okay, you think $5 isn't a lot, but $5 times 12, right? So you have 12 months times six, right? Like, so if you're just literally putting $5 away, she's like, just start small. That's all it takes. So yeah, that's kind of the way I've looked at it. That's awesome. And I'm glad you brought up generational wealth. If, if anybody doesn't know what that is, just Google it and, and learn. <laughs> I write down my goals every morning and my gratitudes. And like, like generational wealth is like, is at the top of it. I mean, right? Like it, it's, it's unfortunate but especially in the States, like we are like, <laughs> you know, a money driven, you know, country. And if you don't have that security, it, it becomes challenging to do the things you want. And I, and I want, I've been so blessed to do the things because my family has set me up. So I, I, I just want to continue to pass that on. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. That's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So at, at the start of your career, so I, uh, I guess out of grad school, um, what did your finances look like? They were okay. They weren't like really great. You know, I had some money in saving, but at the time I was also freelancing, making like, you know, two or $300 a show, which, uh, you know, for, for a theater show before I started working in uh, production, full production. It wasn't the best, but I was I was still making smart money moves and, and being pretty wise budgetarily. Like I, I stuck to a strict budget, so that helped a lot. Okay, but you didn't come from a trust fund per se. No, no, yeah. I, I, I've, been, I've been blessed that like I didn't have to worry about a lot of like my school costs. So like I left undergrad and grad school with very few loans. So like that's helped, you know, like I didn't have to work well, I was in school because my family was like, no, you need to focus on school. That's when they thought I was going to be a doctor. So then when I changed to art, they were kind of on the edge <laughs> yeah. about it, but then they still let me. They were like, oh, theater. But my grandparents always knew. They were like, they, they always knew I was going to go into something artistic. My, my parents, on the other hand, they, they really were pushing the, the doctor side because they both also work in the medical industry. Mm. So Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you had any health challenges? Yeah, I have. Um, so I had a knee surgery when I was very young, 13 years old. I had have a cartilage implant actually in my left knee. So that does make um, things kind of challenging sometimes with the amount of work we do and always being on the move and then being pre pre-diabetic. So kind of on that edge of trying to monitor what I eat as well. Okay, okay. Because I sort of asked the question just in case anybody's gotten like the million dollar medical bill. It seems like financially that hasn't really impacted you. No, yeah, no, no, it hasn't. No, I've been extremely blessed because I do know people like that. That is like, uh, and that that's again, the you know, another issue with our country is it's like, wow, people 
you know, it's not about making people well. And if it is, it comes at a, a large price and that's awful. You know, people shouldn't have to worry about their health. I agree. When you have excess money, where do you put it? I, I try to go to savings. Uh, I do. Now I'm, I'm going between savings and investing in stock. If I get extra money, 75% of it goes to savings or, or stock. So I end up like 75% will either go here or here. And then everything else, I'm like, okay, you have a little extra cash if you want to do something nice for yourself. Yeah. Okay. I think that's an interesting distinction you made because there's savings and there's investing. In my mind, investing and saving are sort of the same thing in the sense of I'm putting it in this imaginary place and I'm not going to use it, hopefully. But you're making a distinction there, which is the savings is what you have for like a rainy day. And then the investing is what you have, hopefully, in the future or if you want to buy a house or something. Exactly. I love Vegas, but when I go to Vegas, I don't gamble. My gambling is the stock market because if I lose anything, it's like, well, I did it. I gambled, but I know like when it comes to like my savings, that's going to be pretty secure, right? I know that I put in this amount of money, it might get a little interest. When it comes to my stock, I'm just literally like clinching, hoping that it continues to ride the beautiful wave and doesn't dip too low. Yeah. So I'm 32. Every time the stock market tanks, like when it did with COVID, I'm still like, let it go farther, let it go farther. Like while we're young, let it go as low as it possibly can and then just let it climb for the next 30 years. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm the same way. And like when it started dropping, I was like, okay, okay, how low can it go before I need to buy something before it starts going back up? So I'm literally like checking, 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 checking. I'm like, okay, bye, 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 bye. So like I bought like a whole bunch of shares. Like that's when I tried to start kind of diversifying, but no. I'm with you completely. It's like, you can go down now, but like in, you know, about 30 years, I need you to get it together <laughs> so I can pull my money out and be okay. Yeah. And just for the record, everybody, timing the stock market is a fool's errand. Don't do it. Nobody do it. Even though we're saying we like to do it, we don't really like to do it. No, it it's terrifying. No, it's terrifying. I, yeah, right before um, COVID, literally, I was talking to one of my coworkers and I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy more shares in Tesla. And I was like, um, you know what? I won't. I'm going to wait. I have enough. It's fine. And then they did the split and I was like, wow, wow. Really missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Do you worry or think about money on a daily basis? I do. I am pretty mindful of it. I do. Um, every morning I still wake up and I check my account just to make sure like, first off that like nothing crazy came out. Um, because I feel like, especially now during COVID, like I've canceled some subscriptions and some people have done it. And some things were still charging me like massage envy, which I love massage envy. And I really miss my massage therapist, but I called and canceled. And then out of nowhere, they charged me like four months. And I was like, whoa, 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 guys, I have an email saying that this is canceled. And then it was like, you would call their phone and you would just get like a voicemail. And I was like, okay, this is unacceptable. But ever since like those kind of little incidents, I've like started waking up and like checking my account every morning just to know and then that way i know like okay if you do want to get your starbucks or your this or your that you know this is what what you're doing to yourself so if you spend 50 dollars a week on starbucks that's 50 dollars that you can't go out and do something else do you use a budget or throughout your life have you used a budget yeah i just use like a simple like excel spreadsheet and i just break everything down in there and then at the end of the month either i try to do it every month it ends up probably being every like two months is I go through and I expense everything. Like I literally go through and track. So I know like, oh, wow, I hit my budget or actually like I need to make an adjustment. Like actually, cause I'll, I'll break down like, this is how much money you have for leisure. 
this is how much money you have for like entertainment. And so then I'll go through and break down like, oh, actually you spent more on entertainment. So either you need to cut somewhere in your budget or just accept that you need to boost yourself up. Wow. Good for you, Ebony. I'm impressed. No, it's, it's <laughs> my, that's my, that's my grandmother. That's my grandmother because I would sit down with her. Like when I was young, like literally when I went to undergrad, she was like, okay, I'm going to give you a monthly allowance. This is your allowance. Let's break down your budget. And she would say, this is everything that I think your money should be going to. Next month, let's come back, let's sit down. And when she'd be like, oh, like you went out to eat this many times, or you went to a movie this many times, she's like, you didn't account for that in your budget. So now, now you're, now you're in the red. That's great. All right, Ebony, I think I need to talk to your grandmother on the podcast. <laughs> no, she's great. <laughs> she is great. Yeah, no, she is really, she's amazing. I mean, the, the things that she, uh, she's done, I mean, she, Went to pharmacy school. I, you know, she came from, you know, a small little town in Florida, ended up in Houston, went to pharmacy school, and then like raised like her and her sister. It, it's it's beautiful, just her story. So her story of generational wealth has really kind of trickled down to me. Well, everybody check back in for episode 100 <laughs> where I will <laughs> interview her. <laughs> yeah. What is a fantastic financial decision you've made and then we'll ask the the reverse of that which is what is a bad financial decision that you've made um i would say a good financial decision was when i started to get involved with stop because i i really honestly started maybe about two or three years ago so i'm very new in it like i've always been interested in kind of like you know like checked every morning like oh or, you know every once in a while like oh how are things going you know i was just looking at like the top things like you know, whatever your iPhone says when you open it, like the Google and the Apple and, and the, the, the larger brands. The Fang stocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we highly recommend people get into investing. That was some, a wise way for me to be able to get, you know, in quotes, extra money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was last year was the first time that anybody ever became a billionaire from the stock market. Everybody knows for retirement, put it in the stock market let it grow, et cetera. Starting a business or getting into real estate, those are pretty much the ways to actually become like a billionaire. One of my things is I, I was doing some math on like what it, how much money I would need to save like a day to become a millionaire by the time I retire. I was like, okay, I think I might need to get in on some type of like franchise thing. Like, I'm like, do I try to get in on like a McDonald's franchise or like a Taco Bell? Like I need something else to kind of generate this money. So yeah, no. I've never thought of my stock as a way for me to become a billionaire, a millionaire. I just think of it as like another little like, you know, piggy bank hidden that I can tap into at some point. Slow and steady wins the race is what everybody says. But also in theater, as a lighting designer, let's say, the ways you can become wealthy, if that's why you got into this business, <laughs> you get on a show that pays you royalties or maybe buy into an event company that you then are partially ownership and that company grows. Are there any other ways? No, no, not that I can really, people don't really get into the, at least the theater side of it for the money. I literally remember uh, one of my professors in undergrad coming in, it's like the first, second day of class. And he says, if you could do anything else with your life, go do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And that's why, because like, he's like, we don't do this for the money. We do it for the heart and the passion. Yeah, this is not uh, not for the faint of heart. I guess I'm saying is that you do need to buy into a franchise if you actually want to <laughs> grow money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I need to look into that. 
I was thinking about that. Like, I was like, okay, like a subway is kind of cheap. Cause like, really it's just sandwiches, right? Like that's like, that's not a lot of overhead. It's not like a cheesecake factory menu. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to throw in a Duncan. Okay. This is going to, I don't know if I can even say this in public. Every time we go to a Duncan, it's always an Indian person there. <laughs> and so I literally Googled, why do Indians work at Duncan? Mm -hmm. Which I realize is a terrible thing. But the answer was, it's a low cost franchise to get into. Like you can open a Duncan with a low amount of money because I was thinking, oh, all these Indians are really wealthy and they're coming and buying Duncan. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a cheap, that makes sense. And that's, that's the thing is like, it's like, okay, like a Subway is cheap. It's just sandwiches, right? Duncan is cheap. You just need like the dough, right? And your fryers and flour, right? So it's like the, the elements that you need to function are simple. And I think that's what makes it uh, efficient. So no, Duncan is really good. I'll put that on my, because I also was talking to my grandma and she actually was like, hey, what if we started, she's like, CBD is getting really big. She's like, what if we started like a CBD, like just CBD, like dispensary and it's a, a high-end CBD. And I was like, huh, that's pretty good. So we, we're bouncing around a few franchise ideas right now. So All right. Well, Ebony, you let me know. Maybe, you know, maybe we can do this all together. You know, it'll be like the lighting design consortium just starting to buy Subway franchises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, no, that's it's like, how else are you going to get, you know, survive, especially the way the economy is yeah. going? It's so crazy right now. And, and also back to your generational wealth. Owning businesses, which owning property is sort of owning a business, that's really the only way to pass generational wealth. My, my grandfather passed away and he left property and houses to folks. And my mom was like, even if we're never going to live in these houses or on any of this property, we will never sell it. We just need to maintain it because of, of the amount of wealth that has, right? Say there's like a tenant in it paying the rent and they're only in there for like half a year. Say it's like you have trouble keeping a tenant. As long as you're not losing money on it, like even if you manage it poorly, even if it doesn't work out, even if you have to do all the repairs or pay for extra insurance, as long as you're not losing money on it, it's a good thing for the long run. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Did we talk about a bad financial decision that you've made? I was telling my mom, I was like, I have to delete the Starbucks mobile app. At one point I was spending like $12 a day. I was like, that's kind of a lot of money when you, you know, when you start, I was like, okay, we got to delete this. Oh, and I don't know if you have a, an Alexa or a Google Home or Google Nest or whatever. People tell their machines to go order them a coffee. And I'm like, that is a dangerous game, folks. Yeah, right now I'm back on my Starbucks addiction because it's pumpkin spice season and I love the pumpkin cream cold brew. But uh, after that, I'm done. Like no more until okay. next fall. Okay, Ebony. <laughs> okay, so I assume you don't have this, but do you have an entity, a corporation, LLC, anything like that? No, I don't. No, I'm, I'm just me. I've thought a few times about it. You know, I thought a few times about starting my own production company, but, but right now I'm I'm blessed enough to be working and I can't imagine that I would be working right now if I was my own uh, company. So no, I, I'm just going to ride this way. <laughs> okay. And then on that, I'm assuming that all of your income is W-2 income? Yeah, it is. Do you file your own taxes? I don't. I have someone that works with people that, that do entertainment. So she is great and understands when I have, when I'm like, oh, I did do two or three freelance things. So she, she understands that. It took me a while to find someone that understood. Uh, because people just don't and it was odd because I was like oh we're in LA like surely people do this the first few people I went to to do taxes they were so confused they were like what is going on like what is this stuff they're like how many jobs did you work and I'm like 
I just work. Like, I don't understand. Like this, we're in, we're in an entertainment city. Like I, I, so I was very shocked by that. Do you have a retirement plan? And if so, what are all the parts of it? So I do have 401k. Uh, I am right now in the process of trying to get uh, my IRA situated. And, and yeah, so, so th those right now are my main two. Your 401k, is that through your company? It is, it is. And they have, I'm so blessed to be working where I am. I am. They literally all the way up until maybe two or three months ago, were still putting my, their share in, their portion in, even during the pandemic. So I, I cannot tell you how blessed I am. Say your company's name again. Bright Ideas, Complete Technical Solutions. Bright Ideas. You guys are good. Good work, yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 401k, is it a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k? A traditional. And do you know if they offer a Roth option? I don't know why I'm asking. I don't I don't think they offer a Roth option uh, because it's a, the company literally, it was 46 people. It's a small family company. 46 people total worked at the company. So very small family uh, business. Um, and then your IRA that you're getting set up, what company are you setting it up through? And is it a traditional IRA or is it a Roth IRA? I, I'm I'm trying to do a Roth. So I'm in the process of talking with my friend that is the investment baker. And he worked for, what's the one uh, in Arizona? Uh, Vanguard? Yes, Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, Vanguard. So yeah, no, he works for Vanguard. So I've been talking to him and I was like, I think I want to go with Vanguard. And he's like, okay, so... He's getting me some information on that. Yeah, Vanguard is like the st staple. That's not the right word. It's the iconic. It's it's the one you, it's like a good tried and true good one. Mm -hmm. Their founder passed away a couple years ago. And so, of course, everyone's like, oh, great. They're going to start trying to make more money because his thing was always like, do it this way, do it this way, lowest fees, lowest fees. So we'll, we'll see what it, in the next 30 years what it does, but I'm sure it won't stray that far from its founding. So it's, it's a good one. We've sort of touched on this, but outside of retirement, do you invest and then how so? Stocks and gold or just stocks or? Yeah, so I'm just doing stock right now. Most so I'm, I'm doing a lot of like uh, pharmaceutical companies, then a lot of like energy uh, things. And then, you know, stuff like Apple and Google and TikTok and, you know, Snapchat, you know, that kind of like silly stuff. Um, yeah, we'll see how TikTok goes. Every country's banning it. So I figure just like stock market, go down, go down, go down, go down. I know. And it's got 30 years of growth ahead of it. Exactly. So index funds, you know what those are? Yes? No, no. Okay. So index funds are a collection of stocks. So like the S&P 500 is an index fund. And so like what you do is you buy a share of that and you're getting a little piece of 500 companies okay so the idea is that it's less volatile if the stock market goes down well it's not going to go down as far as the individual ones there, i thought there was another name for them because i started using stash and stash has something kind of similar a uh, mutual fund yes the mutual funds yeah. okay so this goes back touches on vanguard again i go with index funds because in theory they're lower fees than mutual funds in theory, um, but it's roughly the exact same thing. But Vanguard is known for index funds. But that being said, in defense of mutual funds, <laughs> <laughs> when they go down, they sometimes potentially don't go down as far as other ones. It, there's a little bit of a risk management there. Mm. So I guess I was sort of asking, you're, you're picking individual stocks and no index funds. I started with index funds, but then I, that's when I was like very early on and I wasn't seeing the growth that I wanted to fast enough. So then I was like, 
goodbye and then i started going individually because i'm assuming your 401k is mutual funds or index funds it is mutual yeah so that's your slow and steady and then it seems like your investing is more like wild west here we go baby let's see what happens yeah i am i am yep nope i'm like all right let's go <laughs> buckle up and i'm not worried about you because you have your investment banker friend and he would not steer you wrong yeah no no he's he's really good he like whenever everything started going down i was texting him and he was like, I'll get back to you. I also have other clients freaking out. Everything's gonna be okay. Do these three things first <laughs> before you sell anything. He's like, dude, do this little bit of research and then come talk to me. Oh, actually that does open a new question, which is how much research do you do into your individual picks? If there's a company that I've heard of or someone's like, like I start seeing like lots of odd like billboards for stuff around the city. And so then I start Googling like who is behind. Cause like generally, yes, there's like one company on the billboard, but then there's always another entity behind them. So then I started kind of Googling like who is behind certain companies. And then that's kind of what I, I use to do research on to what to invest in. Oh, here's a little bit of research for you since we talked about Duncan earlier, but they're supposed to be getting bought out. So it seems like up your alley and look into who, what's the company that's buying Duncan. Yeah, I um, recently, um, started seeing like a lot of uh, signs around for different like healthcare, things like LA care and this care. And so I was like, I feel like these are branches of a, of a hub. So that's when I was like, oh, it's by United Healthcare. Okay, great. I'll just get some United Healthcare, you know, a little bit of United Healthcare stock and, and kind of sit on it and see what it does. Yeah. See, now that sort of sneaks morality into stock buying because I'm like, healthcare is one of those things where I'm like, I just don't want anything to do with it because it's dirty. Yeah, and but it's not like it's just the way the world works. Like, right. so in in a sense, there's no problem, and those companies are helping people stay alive. But why are we tying money to life? And and so then I'm like, I, I'm gonna stay away. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's kind of my thing too. But then I'm just like, we know that people are they're always going to be sick people. We know that this is they they're going to be stable. I agree. I agree. What job have you had that's been the most financially lucrative? The job I have now with Bright Ideas, I'm not salary, I'm hourly. After eight hours, I'm in OT. And after 12 hours, I'm in DT. If I don't get eight hours off, I go in the turnaround time. And then uh, we get amazing bonuses. And uh, pre-COVID, we were getting uh, really great uh, stipends for gas and our cell phones. And the company is great. Like I, I just am so extremely blessed. They take care of their people. I am not just youngest in age, but like youngest in like time that I've been at the company. I've only been at the company for three years now, but there are people that have been at the company for 24 years, 27 years, and the company is 31 years old. People have been there for 17 years. So they, they take care of their people. And um, this pandemic was the first time that Greg Christie and Julie Christie had to let people go. And, and it, I, it broke, I know it broke his heart. He was, he, he was a mess. So I, I'm extremely blessed. Regardless of money, what job have you done that you're the most proud of? I would say my time at Big Top Chautauqua. It is an outdoor music festival. It literally sits on Lake Superior. It's at the bottom of a ski hill. So you can go to the top of the ski hill you see this canvas tent that it, the event happens in. And then Lake Superior is just literally right on the other side. That is where I learned how to talk lighting for rock and roll. That was between my first and second year of grad school. And I came back very strong and confident. I was a much faster programmer and designer and really great ideas after that. So that that is some of my proudest. <laughs>
Do you have a professional network and has it helped you make more money? AKA, how do you find work? But you have a steady job, so. No, 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 that, I mean, it does for me. Community and network are so important to me. One, because I am an extrovert. So like, I love connecting with people, but that is how I ended up in grad school. If it, if it weren't for my, my mentor at undergrad, I wouldn't be literally i always text there there are a few uh people that i always text um they both happen to be emmys it was an emmy that i worked with at arkansas rep i worked at arkansas rep for a year before i went to grad school dan at arkansas rep and then emmett who was my mentor from texas tech their mentorship and their guidance literally set me up for so many opportunities. So I still lean very heavily on my network. If I have a Vectorworks question or a programming question for the MA, or I need to get a piece of gear into a city that I don't, haven't worked in, I reach out to people right away because um, that, that is, that's our industry, right? We're a community. It's, it's crazy how big, but how small we are at the same time. How much of your success has been hard work versus luck? Oh, that's so hard because I really do feel like I just continue to be so blessed because I there I'm telling you there are rooms that like the reason I have my job at Bright Ideas and I say the reason I'm I'm sure there are other factors but I did like a four week internship at the company one summer literally four weeks I mostly worked in the warehouse did a little bit of stuff with the head of production when I graduated from grad school I just emailed him my resume. I was like, hi, if you're looking for LDs, electricians, programmers, I just graduated. He responds with, we're looking for project managers. Would you be interested? I was like, uh, I don't, in my head, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I have never managed a project. I don't know anything about video. I don't know anything about audio. How would I be able to support these other departments? And yeah, I mean, he basically uh, trusted me and thought I was capable of what I was, uh, of being a project manager. So I, I would say some of it is skill. Some of it is probably a little bit of energy and blessing, but um, it's probably, it's probably a good, it's probably a good, like even mix of me being like, okay, I don't know enough now. So I'm just going to shut up and like smile and and nod and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if money was not an issue, what would your life's goal be? Oh, uh, if money was not an issue, I would have like a ranch with just like a whole bunch of horses and animals and I would just like chill out. That's actually kind of my retirement plan. We have, uh, my family has some land out in Texas that I'm kind of setting up already. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like get like a, a nice like one of those like little mini cute tiny homes on it and uh yeah so that that that's what i would do i would have a ranch and i would just chill with the animals that's amazing that's amazing here's my conspiracy theory about texas so it's historically statewide it's been historically red conservative but everybody's moving to texas now and i'm like how soon before that state is a blue state any in the next 10 years i'm thinking <laughs> it will be you know and that's the thing is it like I mean, I grew up there and I can definitely say like, it is very red and I look and I'm like, I don't think I ever want to move back there. But so many people are starting to move there because it's so affordable. Uh, at some point, it will at least be purple, if not fully blue. It will at least be purple. <laughs> yeah. What financial advice would you give yourself back when you started? Or would you give another lighting designer or project manager who's just starting right now? One, speak up for yourself and your worth. I think too often we settle for 
the fee is $200, the fee is $300. Uh, I think there needs to be more negotiation in that. I would say trust your instincts, right? Like, don't go too crazy with your money, but but do the things that bring you joy, right? Like at the end of the day, we only get one life. So you have to do the things that give you the most absolute joy. So if it's buying you that $10 Starbucks, you go do it, honey. You go do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. And, and I want to reemphasize that point of negotiate. Everything is negotiable. Everything is negotiable. The negotiation might go like this. Can I have this? No. Okay. Right. But you will never know if you don't ask. And then you can ask and say, I know you're saying the rate is this much. However, this is what I'm bringing to your tape. And no, okay, I'm worth more. And okay, you can't give me, you know, more money, but you need to guarantee me three or four more shows in the season. Like there are ways to, to get benefits, right? I feel like a lot of times people do, you know, the two or $300 or the $500 show. And then they never hear back from that theater. It's like, no, no, no. Because they only paid you $500, they, there needs to be another way for them to compensate you and support your artistry, right? Do you think right now is a good time for students to be studying art? I do. I, I think that right now, I think what's happening in our industry is going to change a lot of the, the way smaller 99 seat and community theater works and i think that it's going to mean that people are either paying more or they're doing fewer shows so that they can have larger budgets we're going to come back stronger after this i think people are first off people are going to crave art they're they're going to crave new new things they're going to want to see new things i mean right people are running out of tv shows to watch i think i think it is important to to continue to study and even though you know, it might take the industry four to six years after this. It's still going to be important to continue to create. Big cities are artistic hubs. Do you think right now, if somebody's from Texas or Arkansas and they're wanting to be a lighting designer, should they move to a big city right now? No, I don't think I don't think you should. And I honestly don't think you have to. Right. Honestly, I think starting in like a smaller town where you can kind of control the market and you kind of become the lighting person, the audio person, right? And then from there, you build your network up from, so say, for example, if someone is coming out of undergrad and you're in a small town or you're going back to a small town, there are still high schools. There, there are still centers, right? There are still places that are going to be doing weddings. Reach out to those places, right? And then go to a high school and, and talk to the theater person or the theater teacher and see if students need, you know, need outside work. I think that's a great way to kind of build yourself up without having to make the big move to, to a large city. Are you in any unions? No, I'm not. Yeah, who needs them? No, no, I mean, they're, they're great. I, I mean, the, the battle right now between equity and, and SAG after, like, holy crap, like, really, guys, can we please work together so people can eat? What can you and I do to stress the importance of finance and savings to our fellow artists? To remind them that at some point our our bodies won't be able to do what we want to do, right? Like at some point, as especially as lighting designers, like our eyes just aren't going. We've stared into too many lights for our eyes to continue to work, right? As a painter, you know, you you've been hunched over too long. Your body. We have to take care of our money 
uh, now so then later when our bodies need it, we, we can we can support it because this isn't a isn't a forever career and no career is, but I feel like as theater artists and as people that create, it will become harder for us as we get older to continue to do those things and move the way we move because we move so fast, you know, from theater to theater, from project to project that, you know, your body is just going to end up hating you at some point. Yeah. If you wanted one of my pet peeves, it's when people say, I'm never going to retire. I'm just going to work until I die. Right. There, there, there are a few people that I know that way that do like production and it's like, you know, master electricians and they're like, I want to die on the job. And I'm like, you want to die in a genie lift? What is wrong with you? Because the people that have died in a genie lift, I bet they would not want to die that way. (laughs) To me, I just feel like it's unnecessary, right? Like we work very hard in this industry. So why not at the end, you know, of your time, why not take a moment? I don't know. I feel like there's so many ways, like, go into education, like do like community theater and mentor some young, you know, young up and coming folks. Like there's no way that you can continue to move at the rate at which we move um, because it's too hard. I mean, there, there is sort of a romantic element to it of like dying the way you love, you know, it's like dying peacefully in your sleep. This is alleged. I don't actually know this, but somebody told me this, that Ken Billington, who's a Tony award winning lighting designer. He's, he says he wants to die at his tech table. And Joe Malziner is a famous designer. He's known for, he was going between from one Broadway theater to another. So he jumped in a cab and he died in the cab. Wow. And and so there is that element of like romanticism of like he loved what he was doing. I get that, but I don't want for that to be the only option because that's the the lucky, fortunate people. But what if you break your leg? You, You can't do that. We do so much to our bodies in this industry. How many times have I moved around a 12 foot or 15 foot tall ladder by myself, quickly trying to focus something? Like we we abuse our bodies. It's only fair to give them a little break before uh, before we cross over. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this conversation took a turn. <laughs> no, I right, you're right. I was like, I don't know how to say this, but anyway, we're talking about death, so I'll just go here. <laughs> well, Ebony, thank you so much. I have two more questions for you. What separates those people? that have a full-time career in the arts versus those that maybe never give it a try or transition into something else? I think what separates the people is not willing to be able to make the jump. I mean, my family, not, not my whole family, I would say my, my mom in particular, she's just now starting to understand what I do and she still doesn't quite, but she kind of, she'll send me like pictures of stuff and be like, look at the lights. And I'm like, good job. I think what separates those people is they get held back by people saying, you can't make a career in this. People don't do this for a living. People don't understand that you can do it and and be happy, right? They think like, oh, you're always going to be a starving artist. Yes, sometimes you are, right? But it's people not being willing to make the leap of faith. You will never know until you fully commit to something. I forget which which actor, Leonardo DiCaprio or like Tom Cruise, it was like one of them. They were talking about how they used to like wait tables, right? And they would wait tables and then go audition and, you know, that back and forth. And then finally they were like, you know what? I am not, I am not a waiter. I am an actor. I'm only going to audition and I, that is what I'm going to do, right? You, you have to just give it, give it your all, right? To see, to see where it can go. And I feel like if, if you're split, especially for something uh, like our industry that is so heavy, it, it holds you back. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, I have a website. So um, it is uh, ebmadry.com, E-B, and then my last name, M-A-D-R-Y.com. 
trying to work on my corporate stuff. I have all of my like theater and dance stuff up. So I'm trying to get like corporate drawings and renderings and things like that up. But, but yeah, feel free to hit me up. Amazing. Okay. Well, Ebony, thank you so much for taking the time. I really loved having a chat with you. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for like the craziness of my schedule. I was just like, he's going to think I don't want to talk to him, but I do. <laughs> I just love the phrase goat rope. <laughs> rope. Yeah. You were like, okay. You were like, okay, okay. There, there's some madness going on and I understand now. <laughs> All right, Ebony. Well, I hope that we meet one day and that we get to work together. Anyway, thank you so much for chatting and um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me again. And it's, it's been such a pleasure. And this is so beautiful. That was our interview with Ebony Madry. My takeaways were generational wealth. It has to start somewhere. If you have it, pass it along. If you don't have it, be the one to start. Negotiate every job. Low pay is unsustainable to life and career. Save money, but also invest. Whether you invest by yourself or hire someone else to do it, make sure you're doing something. Stocks are fine, but to grow wealth, you need to own part of a business. Ebony is thinking of a franchise or something to do with CBD, but whatever it is, it has to be something that can generate cash flow and holds value that can be passed to someone else. And now time for a fun fact. I mentioned Joe Melziner during the podcast. He's the set designer that died in a New York City taxicab. When I went to fact check myself, I discovered that he designed the set for the Vatican's pavilion show of Michelangelo's Pieta at the 1964 World's Fair. If you listen to episode 17.5 with Dennis Size, he talks about going to see the Pieta as a child. That's just a fun tidbit to illustrate how we as humans are connected through space and time. If you are thinking about starting a Subway or Dunkin' franchise, or if you have another way you are trying to create generational wealth, let us know by leaving a comment on Facebook or Instagram on our posts for this episode. If you want to hear the outtakes from our conversation with Ebony, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com artisticfinance. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a producer of our show. Thank you to the patrons who support me, I know your dollars are hard-earned, and it does make a difference in my life. I'll leave you with this. Ebony mentioned how hard we work in the entertainment industry and as artists. You won't be able to work forever. It's important to think about the moment you'll have when you're older. If you're fortunate, you'll reach a time where you can choose to slow down. If you choose to keep going full speed, I want that to be because it feels right, not because you don't have another choice. Your retirement plan doesn't have to be complicated or contain huge amounts of money, and you don't even have to retire. But do think about what options you want to have when you're older, and make sure you're laying some sort of groundwork for that to become reality. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu. Music by Chong Liu.